Good morning, everyone. This morning is Matthew chapter 20. You may recall at the end of chapter 19, Peter asked a question, hey, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus said that, yeah, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. You might also recall a parable from the previous chapter where there was a rich man who came to Jesus, and you know the, the rich man ended up uh, going away. And he said it was harder for, or easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And what we have is is in in Jesus we have a flip of societal norms, and there are several. So you know, there's parables in the Bible, like you might remember the parable of uh, the rich man and Lazarus, and uh, and the rich man was carried off to Hades, and Lazarus was carried to Abraham's bosom. Um, there are many things in the Bible regarding the Jews in that they saw themselves as part of God's family and Gentiles were looked at um, and frowned upon. And Jesus is indicating in multiple ways, many who are first shall be last and the last first. Um, Jesus doesn't, doesn't care about societal norms. He doesn't care about richness. Ultimately, what it's going to come down to is faith in him. And it also doesn't matter regarding salvation when you come to Christ. I mean, it matters in this earth because there's blessings for following him now. But the fact that you make it to Jesus, even if you make it to him at the end, uh, you still are ushered into the kingdom of God in heaven because you came to him before your time was up on earth. So many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. And he shares a parable uh, in, in chapter 20 about a landowner that went out to hire laborers for his vineyard. And this is a, a parable. It's not necessarily a true story, but it's, it's meant to illustrate a true point. And he hired some people in the morning, and then he hired some people uh, you know, at noon, and then he hired some people in the afternoon, and then he hired some people uh, right before, like an hour before the closing of the day. And then he he has his uh, manager go out to pay everyone, and he pays them all the same rate. Now, the people in the morning that he committed to giving them a wage, uh, and they agreed to that wage, and they worked all day. And then everyone else, he just said, hey, how you need some work, and how come you're not working? They're like, well, no one hired us. He's like, ah, oh, well, come and come and work, you know. So he he hires these people throughout the day, but then at the end of the day, he pays them all the same amount. And the people that were first and paid in the morning were or started in the morning were complaining, like, hey, how come everyone got the same as us? It doesn't seem fair. And and Jesus says, friend, I'm doing. This is in verse thirteen. Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Did you not agree with me for a wage for the day? 
take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first, and the first last. So Jesus shares that he pays them all the same amount. And, and I, I think you know, one of the things that's significant is that like Pharisees, who always thought themselves as special before God, well, they're going to have to come to Jesus. But even if they do come to Jesus, they're not necessarily going to have a higher place of position or any extra blessing in the kingdom because now everyone who's part of Jesus's church and believes in him and even us Gentiles, we're, we're part of the family of God. Uh, this makes me think of the man, the thief on the cross. Do you remember there were two thieves, one on the left and on, one on the right of Jesus? And right at the end, one of the thieves goes to Jesus, uh, remember me when you enter your kingdom. He says this to Jesus. And, and what that man is doing is he's expressing faith. He's, first of all, recognizing that Jesus is a king, that he's going to a kingdom, and that Jesus is going to have the ability to remember him when he gets there. So this thief, right at the end of his life, even though he was a thief, is placing trust in Jesus literally in the last hours of his life. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Because to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord when you believe in him. And this man, you know, was ushered into the presence of God at his death because he had faith in Jesus. And he may, he was the last one, right, to come to Jesus, but he, he was first uh, in, in the, into heaven. And that's just the way it is with Jesus. So, you know, praise God there's a blessing to following him, even though we've been following him for years. But as far as heaven, being rewarded with heaven, as long as you get there before you go home, you're still going to be able to get there. Praise God. As Jesus was going, was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, verse 17, by themselves. And on the way, he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. In this case, that's going to mean the Roman soldiers, to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. So Jesus took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen. You know, imagine what it must have been like in that room when, or in that place when Jesus told them. He, he pulls them aside intimately and tells them that he's about to die for them. And you know, it seems like they never really could quite grasp this until it happened, and I guess that makes sense. Um, it, it would be hard to see your Lord, your Master, your Rabbi um, taken and and killed, and it's not something that you see on a regular basis. And then, of course, to see Him rise again, hallelujah, to be raised up on the third day. But it was important that He told them that, because after it happened, after His death, and after his resurrection, the fact that he told them the whole time just adds so much faith and power to it. Jesus knew what was going to happen, and it helped these men to trust him, and that's what Jesus needed. Jesus needed these men, even after his death and resurrection, to trust him. They struggled in, in the interim there while he died. They didn't necessarily know what to do, and 
hey, they're human. We'll, we're, not, we're not judging them. But you know what? After the resurrection, and in particular after Pentecost, they were bold and living for the Lord all the way to their death. And they had all these testimonies about Jesus. They couldn't deny. And uh, praise God. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, so this is James and John's mom, came to Jesus. And remember, they're part of his inner circle. Uh, Jesus, James, John, and Peter, they were like some of the closest apostles to Jesus. And bowing down, this, this woman, the mother, and making a request of him, and he said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit on your right and on your left. Kind of interesting that, you know, I mean, the mother of these of these two, you know, Jesus paid attention to her. He knew who she was, and he cared about those men, and she bowed down, um, and she got Jesus' attention. So I think there's something to be said for that, you know. Bow down, and, and uh, the Lord is kind of like, hey, what does this fellow have to say? What does this lady have to say? And I think there's something to be said for bowing down before the Lord, even in just the posture of our heart. But I think bowing down is good too. Now, he doesn't end up answering her or, or blessing her request, but he heard her prayer. What do you wish, she said to him, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit on your right and on your left. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And I, I think that means his death and being murdered. And they said to him, we are able. Uh, it appears that the sons may have been around now. And he said to them, my cup you shall drink, meaning, you know what, you are going to die. And I can't recall at the moment, uh, well, John, you know, we we know he died out on Pasmos. Yeah, and, uh, and James, I believe he we do have a record of him uh, being martyred. Uh, yeah, he was martyred in the book of Acts, it's, it's noted. My cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not to give, but it is for those for whom... It has prepared by my father. So yeah, you're going to die for me, but um, it's not. It's already been decided or will be decided or God knows. And I'm, I, I, it's not for me to give you that position. And hearing this, the 10, the other 10 apostles, became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself. So he brings them in again, interesting, and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Ultimately, Jesus served us all by giving his life. And we are here to serve God's kingdom. That's what God would have us to do. So what is your way of serving God's kingdom? What is your way to serve God's kingdom? I think, you know what? It's a blessing when you find... No, we can serve Him in any way. Sometimes it may be doing something that you don't want to do. 
you know, um, maybe it's something that's hard or, or self-sacrificing to do for the Lord. But what I've found, too, is that God has given each of us different gifts. And as you find out what your gift is, give that to the Lord. Use that to serve the Lord. Now, until you really find your sweet spot, serve Him somehow. Serve Him some way. Uh, he's pleased with your service. And some people just have the gift of serving, and they'll just do anything to serve God. And that's an amazing thing. And sometimes I'm convicted by those people, not by those people, but just it's like, you know, you know, maybe I should do what they do. You know what I mean? I, maybe sometimes you felt like that as well. But I really feel like the Lord has turned me into a teacher uh, of God's Word. And I'm trying to be faithful to what God has given to me and not be lazy, but to say, Lord, help me to honor you and help me teach about you all the way until you come and get me or until I go home. And when you find the way that God's gifted you to serve, I think he'll give you some enthusiasm towards it. You know, there's some people in my life, praise God, that I think one of the ways they serve is giving. You know, some people God has given wealth to, and they're generous, and they give it to Christian causes. And, you know, there's there's just so many ways that God uses different people to serve Him. But I say it again, what is your way? And if you're not serving God, I, I think you should, you know, I encourage you to roll up your sleeves and serve Him somewhere. Get involved in a church, find a need. And, and meet it and meet that need, but also seek to find out, you know, if you're at your best in serving God, what would it be? And begin to discover that and then apply yourself to it. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they gained their sight and followed him. You know, we have seen pictures of this throughout Matthew's Gospel of people coming to Jesus, and in a sense, almost like not taking no for an answer and begging or bowing down or thinking of the woman who just worked her way to Jesus and touched the tassels at the bottom of his robe, so to speak, and were, were healed. And I think of Lazarus up in the tree right now, that the tax collector one who climbed up in the tree because he was a short man. And he couldn't, he wanted to be able to see Jesus coming. And, and when Jesus sees that extra honor, that extra effort, even though he was a tax collector, uh, you know, he, he, he notices that. when Even when the, the mother came, right, and bowed down before him, he, like, paid attention to that. So sometimes, you know what, you got to cry out to the Lord and just keep crying out. And he pays attention to that and praise God for that. And, you know, I've got some things to pray for in my own life and in my own family. And uh, I'm going to do some more crying out to the Lord now. God bless you all.